Round one, fight. Heroes never die. I'm Commander Shepard, and this is my favorite store on the Citadel. I used to be an adventurer like you. Then I took an arrow in the knee. Power, sex, sex, power. They both come down to one thing. Hungry Gamers. Hello, hello, hello! Welcome everyone to the 308th episode of the Hungry Gamers Podcast. We are powered by Apic.net and those sexy legends over at Audio-Technica. Head on over to audiotechnica.com ASAP to upgrade your audio game. Today, I'm your extremely humble host, Brendan White. You can find me just about everywhere at Brendan8Bit. And joining me today, as is tradition, my podcast, Right I Die, the penny to my iron. You can find her on them socials at Miss Ali Hart. Miss Ali Hart, how the bloody hell are you? Doing good on this Friday slash Saturday, I guess, for you guys. That's it. Welcome to the mm. past and the future at the same time, listeners, because we're uh, straddling time zones, as is tradition. Um, I got a full disclosure. Saying the name Iron makes me feel gross. It should be Ian, but, uh, you know, Mythic Quest and they the pronunciation of Iron, Rob McElhaney's character oh. in that. Oh, I see. It makes I me see. feel like a bit heebie-jeebie-esque, but that's just how they do it in the Americas, apparently. They do a lot of things interesting over here, I could tell you. Yeah, it's very true. Very true indeed. But uh, we're back for the 308th time for the THG main line show. We got uh, a smattering of news to talk about. Not a ton. It was a little bit uh, barren out in the streets this week, but we found a few things worth talking about. We got some games to talk about, though. Some new games that uh, we haven't discussed on the potty. So maybe we should start things off there because I am so excited to hear about a game you've been playing because I've missed it so far this week because I've been bogged up with a couple of other big gems myself, but uh, tell me all about Pentiment, please, and thank you. Uh, yeah, so I actually took the chance to play Pentiment because it was on Game Pass, and it's available on Game Pass PC. So once again, you know, there was like low risk to trying out the game, and um, so far it's been really rewarding. It is such a sweet little game and just so unique and different. Um it is very narrative focused. Um, it does feel like um, more of like a point and click adventure with more dialogue options than most other things that you usually associate with a point and click. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, I just adore the art style, um, the uh, the the old books and like. Um, the like manuscripts, like the wood cutout kind of style from, um, I think it was like what early modern medieval time, like, mm, like maybe what, like the 13th century or something like that. Maybe. Oh, uh, I don't know. It would be the best somewhere. I wouldn't be the historian to tell you. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's been great. Uh, like you play as a character called, um, Andreas and he is a, like a traveling artist and he's residing in this town and he is helping like an abbey do their like copying of manuscripts. And because Mm -hmm. back in the day, like you had to like hand copy everything. So it was quite a profession to be able to replicate stuff. Um, And uh, yeah. And what's great is uh, as this character, you actually do have some kind of customizational options where you get to kind of choose like, 
your character's background. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of uh, interesting options and these uh, options that you choose usually gives you dialogue options later on in the game. I so far haven't felt like too much of an advantage or disadvantage. There's been like little moments where I'm like, oh, if I chose that, maybe I would have been able to answer that. But I haven't seen it be a hindrance to the overall story so far. But I'm, you know, maybe further along. Um, but it's very sweet. It's very cute. Um, I guess cute actually isn't the term to use. But it's it's just, I guess it's just so unique and lovely. And I'm loving the interactions that I'm having with these villagers. Um, overall, your character is just going through the village helping people or not. Um, and there's just like weird superstitions, there's crime, there's mystery and stuff to be solved. So, um, so far I'm really, really enjoying it. And I'm actually really looking forward to diving into it more because I feel like there's something more happening behind the scenes and I've read only briefly about um, uh, like possible different endings which I'm always about I love the uh, possibility of getting a different experience than someone else in a game so um, I understand that some people this might not be a game for them I think it's probably probably a little bit more niche than most games um but I was pretty happy to see the great reviews it's been getting through outlets um seen a lot of tens and things yeah, like that doing we, the rounds we're seeing tens. it's uh, popping off from a review score perspective I yeah I just um I really appreciate it especially when uh making a game and going out of the you know basic square of like especially with like obviously not full triple a you wouldn't classify it as triple a even though it's through obsidian right like it's still classified as in it? no, is it? Is it maybe like double A? You'd classify yeah. it as <laughs> we'll go like down, it, go it's down not the quite on the yeah, not not quite on the you know the God of War Ragnarok tier. If we're just going from a, a, a other game that's doing the charts around at the moment, but it's yeah, big studio behind it, but it's not at that same level, and that's not disrespecting what obsidian have done because yeah it's reviewing well like it's 88 on metacritic for pc 86 for xbox so people will be loving it mm. and uh yeah the world's going mad for pentiment and i can't wait to to give it a spin because the the writing style and like you said the replayability with the different um the different endings that can come your way feels very appealing and very exciting yeah and just like the opportunities and the experience that you can go through and essentially the character that you can kind of mold them like your main character Andreas into like there was I've already seen a few other people kind of like play it for, at the early stages of the game so I didn't get it spoiled for me and like one of the background options is like you know um are you a craftsman are you a roughhouser like and like if you're if you're into like roughhousing <laughs> then you're quite sassy and you have these options to kind of like like bite back at people or get a bit more snarky and um I chose a craftsman's and um a, a, a logician so a more mathematical so I've already mm -hmm. had experiences where that has been beneficial I chose that my character spent time in Italy so there's actually been a lot of references to either Italian artists or even the language and my character's been able to kind of jump in and kind of add that to the conversation which I'm assuming other people who didn't have choose that wouldn't have that option so um, I just I, I can't wait to see what my experiences is, check in with other people and how 
like their choices and how that affected the game and um yeah and the overall like maybe jumping back in again and just choosing a different option seeing how I go with it yeah I'm I'm very much looking forward to sort of diving in on this this week Uh, I've managed to sort of put put two titles to bed that I've been been working on very diligently this week just so I can then shift on to Pentiment and then onto Pokemon as well because uh, that's another big gem that dropped uh, in the last couple of days that that's worth some time but yeah Pentiment is everything I think I'd hoped for and even then I didn't really understand what I was hoping for if that makes sense like Like it got announced and I remember we talked about it on the back of the um, Xbox and Bethesda showcase and we're like, this looks really cool. This is one to watch. And then the fact that it's come out within a six-month time period of it being announced and it's getting really well-reviewed and everyone seems to be loving it and I like the branching story and the replayability with the multiple endings depending on how you handle or don't handle certain situations. I love that. And the art style, like you said, that sort of like cardboard cutout, um, you know, Elizabethan throwbacky vibe that it's got is just like, I'm all about it. So I can't wait to uh, dive in and see, see what my, uh, my run through with um, Andreas is going to be like. So 16th century is what okay. we were looking for. Okay. There, apparently, A few hundred years out there. Yeah. <laughs> so 16th century uh, Bavaria if anyone also okay. wants that little addition. But, yeah, it's. It, I think for anyone that maybe have have an interest in, like, uh, history and the arts and such, I think that um, even if you might have an interest in uh, linking with how religion and how that had an effect in, um, in history and art at that time as well, um, as that can be a little bit prominent in the story as well. So, mm. um, yeah. I just think, and then obviously, as we always preach, it's Game Pass. So if you've already got Game Pass, you've got nothing to lose just to try it out and see if you like it. Mm, great thing. Game Pass for not only console, but PC as well. Yeah. So depending on preference of how you want to navigate this world, you've got those options. Just reading some of the, the hit points, like the game initially started and getting worked on by just a team of two. So it started wow. with just two people building this game out and then it expanded over to up to 13 people. But uh yeah, I cannot wait to give this a crack because, uh, yeah, the reviews and just the the the, disc, the the chatter on Twitter, which is, you know, a whole nother topic. <laughs> you know, it might be the last time we reference Twitter on, on the podcast from a current standpoint. But uh, everybody that I follow on Twitter that's played Pentiment has been gushing about it. So, uh, yeah, I can't wait to dive on into that one because it looks and sounds, and from what you tell me, it even feels good to play, even though it's simplistic in the, the point and click and the, narrative navigation but i love a big juicy story so uh let's go yeah what about you oh i have um i've been a busy bee this week uh i'm, I'm officially unemployed at the moment until i start oh, my sad. new job next week so i got some extra time which i'm feeling very good about because it allowed me to put two games to bed uh one that i've been chipping away on and i'll start with star ocean the divine force to begin with mm-hmm. and um star ocean it's it's a franchise that like I'm pretty familiar with, but I'm not like a, a savant like this. This franchise has been around for over two decades. It's It's been around for a good long time. It's one of the the stalwarts of the JRPG universe. And uh, there's been some great releases. Uh, the Last Hope still probably my favorite Star Ocean game I've played. And that really sort of stuck me into that JRPG fandom way back when playing it on the Xbox 360. And there's been some releases after that, which were a little uneven to, to put it lightly but um 
yeah, with with the Divine Force, it feels like a really good return to form. Like the game itself and Star Ocean and sort of how it works. Uh, you know, Star Ocean sort of blends science fiction with fantasy is mm-hmm. the easiest way to combine it where you've got these characters and they're traversing planets and solar systems and going to different worlds and meeting all kinds of crazy anime-inspired characters and creatures and, and all that stuff that, that sort of, uh, you know, tickles the old pickle. And um, the Divine Force is definitely more of that. The, the cool thing with, with the game is when it starts up, you, you're straight away given the choice between two primary protagonists to play. So you've got the option to play as Raymond Lawrence or Letitia Aurelius. Raymond Lawrence is like the easiest way to sort of just just to, to split these characters. Raymond is like this mullet wearing science fiction space cowboy type of dude, and oh, then Letitia yeah. Aurelius is more leaning into the fantasy. So you've got Raymond, who's the the science fiction piece, and then Letitia is the traditional um, fantasy, fantasy spellcaster wielding swords. And from there, the the game plays out as as you would be familiar with with the the JRPG tropes and the the stakes and the drama you know the world's the world and the worlds are you know at play here where there's big bads trying to do bad things and, and overthrow governments and oppress races and all this type of stuff but uh you've just got to try and uh, keep humanity safe across the stars so to speak but um it's it's super cute the graphics are really nice the environments themselves going around certain hubs or certain planets like they've got a real sense of scale like the the worlds are massive the open plane areas where you sort of just running around getting from point a to point b and fighting enemies it's really pretty the enemies themselves there's a diverse cast of creatures and characters to fight uh so the diversity in the worlds kept things fresh i, I think the game took me maybe 40 hours over the last couple of weeks to to sort of chip through and and, and run roll credits on the story really strong gets a little a little sort of thin at the end where by the end of it i'm just like i'm looking forward to the credits being rolled but overall the experience was, was good up until that point but uh the the game feels good uh, the great thing with star ocean and the last few entries is they've pivoted away from turn-based combat to real-time combat and the good thing is you can jump in and out of certain characters in your party so you can start chaining abilities together and really popping off on the screen and the visual spectacle of, you know, hit counters and combos going is, is pretty cool. But something else that they've brought into the Divine Force compared to Integrity and Faithlessness, which was the most recent entry in um, Star Ocean, is they've got this thing called the Duma, like a D.U.M.A. Um, I can't remember what Duma stands for off the top of my head, but it's like this science fiction-y backpack thing that um, gives you the ability to dash, float, jump around and navigate the air really swiftly. So you can sort of fly around the, the battlefield with this Duma character attached to yourself, doing all kinds of chain combos with it on the back. So it's like elevates the game, gives you a way to traverse the, the landscape in and out of combat too. So you can use it to sort of get to, to higher areas that you can't jump to or climb to. So you can sort of zip around like the map using this thing as a, a traversal item. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of cool because it tweaks the battlefields and that just the play play style in itself. You can use it in an attack or a defensive perspective. So you can use it to, to add shield and protect your allies or you can add it to buff um, yourself and your allies as well during combat. So it's that's a nice new wrinkle for 
Star Ocean and it keeps things a little bit fresh and a little bit interesting. It doesn't keep reinventing the wheel from the, the combat in the previous games. But yeah, for, for, for a series that's been around for a long time and this is the sixth entry now in the Star Ocean world, it still feels new. It still feels exciting. There is a few things, like I said, where the story does drag a little at the end. But overall, I really, really enjoyed it. The characters are cute as hell. They've gone away from a lot of the generic anime tropes you could say where you know there's there's less weird sexual moments and you know how you know how in rpgs and anime in general they can't but help themselves shoehorn in some weird awkward sexual things there's not really much of that going on in here the story is a little bit more grounded and a little bit more respectful of the the female characters there's no weird like shower scenes going on and all these other types of stuff that's happened in other entries into the universe but Super cute. The characters are great. They've got sort of like a, like this, the, the franchise, they've got like a porcelain doll type aesthetic to them as far as how okay. the, how the facial animations and skin looks. They've got a bit more of a, a shine to the characters, I guess you could say, but, but they are, they are pretty impressive. And, and Raymond Lawrence has one hell of a mullet. It's nice to see like this space cowboy with a big juicy golden mullet Roman, Roman around doing his thing. And the good thing with the two different characters is it gives you some replayability there because certain parts of the game, they'll branch off and do their own things. So you yeah. won't really know what they've been up to and vice versa. So you'll come back and get snippets of conversation through other NPCs and characters, but not get the full picture. So there is some incentive to potentially go back and play as Raymond or Letitia, depending on which is your first playthrough was. But yeah, the combat's super fun, super frantic. The characters are really charming. The soundtrack done... Motori Sakuraba, who'd done the, the soundtrack and the score, awesome, awesome. It goes from, like, crazy synth to, to crunchy rock to high fantasy to this, that, the other. So the soundtrack really, really goes hand-in-glove with the game itself, and, it like, the, the high points are elevated. The low stressful and, you know, more somber points are also emphasised with, with sort of that scoring, which is really great. Uh, there is a skill tree that uh, ties into the game, but it kind of devalues the leveling system in a way. It's a little oh. bit, a uh, little bit janky, and it's and it's a bit messy to navigate. But there is a, a skill tree system there where you can uh, level your character and, and build them out the way you like, which is good. But it just becomes this big, big blur, and you just do it all up anyway. The, the way the game hands out XP you end up pretty much just maximizing everything so you don't have to sort of pick and choose, I'm going to be a ranged character, I'm going to be a melee character. It's like, no, I'll just do everything because the the XP is plentiful. But uh, <laughs> no, it's fine. I really enjoyed it. Like, as I said, 40-ish hours to roll credits. If you're, if you're thirsting for a, a big beefy JRPG or if you may be a fan of Star Ocean, you fell off in the last few entries and want to come back, this is well worth your time. It doesn't really connect to any of the previous other Star Ocean games as far as a pure narrative perspective. So you don't have to have played the previous five to jump into this one. You can jump into this with fresh eyes and get a sense of what's going on and and feel good playing it. So, uh, yeah, Star Ocean, um, The Divine Force, done by Triforce, uh, really, really enjoying it, planned on the PlayStation 5, as I said, with, yeah, one of my favourite JRPGs I've played in in many a year, and it's nice to see Star Ocean return to form. Miss Hart, are you going to play some Star Ocean one day? I'm not really into JRPGs, unfortunately, but, um, I mean, they're always pretty to look at, so I might have to check out a stream or two to see what's going down. It is very pretty, and, yeah, that that, um, addition of that, just that Duma science fictiony robot companion accompaniment thing that just 
changes the way battles play out is really cool. Just that on its own, I was like, ooh, this is, this is interesting. This is a, a nice little wrinkle that I wasn't planning on. But uh, yeah, I, I definitely feel from my personal perspective, Star Ocean The Divine Force is 8-bit approved and, and well worth your time if you are a JRPG fan or a Star Ocean fan or just looking for a nice, juicy, beefy game with a big flowing narrative. Give it a peek. The other game that I got to play, rolled credits on this in the early hours of this morning to try and get it finished, but uh, I managed to get The Devil in Me completed overnight, Mm. the fourth entry into the Dark Pictures Anthology done by Supermassive Games. Been playing this on the Xbox Series X, and I can see you're sort of waiting there with bated breath to, to throw a verdict your way, and Miss Hart, sadly... The verdict is that it's not the best. Oh. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, we, we've been talking about this game and hoping that it could be the the, the greatest or, you know, the, the, the jewel of this first season of the, the Dark Pictures Anthology. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, you know, like House of Ashes, we've both spoken pretty positive about that now, experience with the House of Ashes um, earlier this year. And then the concept with uh, the devil in me. So, so the cool thing with the devil in me, it's actually based around a true story. Uh, so, so Henry Howard Holmes or H.H. H. Holmes, depending on what you might or might not know him as, he's actually, you know, debated as once one of the first serial killers in in modern history. Uh, he was roaming around in in the eighteen hundreds, and what he uh, he's confessed to twenty seven ish murders, give or take. And what sort of made made the law around H.H. H. Holmes very unique and uh, topical was uh, he built this thing called the Murder Castle where there was a whole heap of, uh, you know, various rooms and traps and things where he was, he was allegedly killing all these people over, over you know, his 34 years of living uh, where there was yeah, a whole heap of atrocities that, that took place. So, so they've taken some real beats about H.H. H. Holmes um, in The Devil in Me, where you play the role of this this sort of budding small-time film crew. It almost feels like they're on like a, a crew that makes stuff for like the sci-fi channel or something like that. So yeah. so you're in this like little little D-grade crew of five and you get this random call and you're going to this homestead where they've actually like replicated the murder castle. Yeah. And so you're going there to, to try and get some, some great footage to hopefully save your show and maybe elevate you up in the, in the, uh, the D grade, um, you know, film crew celebrity era and, and get your show seen by more people. And so the concept is great. And the story really drew me in. Like, I love that there's some realness that they're playing off here and some history. Obviously, they they sort of fabricate things a little bit to, to dramatise the game a little bit more. But the game, um, th- those five characters that you're controlling throughout your throughout your six to seven hours worth of game time, I couldn't give a rat's ass about oh, any of no. them, to be honest. And that's the I think that's the hardest part with this... With this genre that that Supermassive have really perfected, like the quarry, phenomenal. Yeah, you feel things for all of those characters, good, bad, or otherwise. True. Where these five characters, I could not care, and that's what made it hard. Like working my way through, and I'm like, oh my god, the stakes are high. You know, you can die at any second for the most part in these games, but that didn't really phase me too much. If that's the right thing to say, like I don't know if that makes me sound shitty, but like just they they didn't flesh out the characters enough in a way for me to to feel strongly one way or another to, to 
genuinely fear or have concerns for their life. That's strange too because I think with a lot of these games, they have usually taken the time to kind of at least like get to know these characters, watch them develop, so then you can be swayed by those life or death decisions or choices that you have to make. Like, So it's strange that like at this time around you just didn't feel any kind of connection to any character. So I guess that made choices easier. <laughs> yeah, like it certainly lessened the stakes with the choices. <laughs> just, eh. uh, like like they, they try and, and they try and give some backstory to some of the characters, but they're either just naturally unlikable like they, they lent into some of the tropes where it's the the old 40 something failed english director that's a bit of a prick and then there's the the, the lead on camera named kate who she's you know they they pry her off as oh she's just the bitchy wannabe starlet and all that and so mm-hmm. they they lean into those tropes but not to the way where there's maybe like like they they sort of have a like a little bit of an eye what's the word i'm thinking of like like they don't um they don't evolve from that. They don't. They don't become more than just the trope. Oh. It always was just that. Yeah. And then you combine that, like the game. There was a lot of constant minor bub, uh, bugs where there was, you know, textures that were popping in, popping out. Combining that with that wooden animation in these games, like not only do they move around and steer like they're a big boat, but like <laughs> in these really emotional scenes where where they're meant to be showing all these. Um, various layers of emotion on their faces it's just they've got those crazy high detailed eyes that just look at you like a doll and then the rest of their face is like oh my god oh my weird something's teeth. gonna get us and their teeth yeah they're still, they're still freaky yeah <laughs> have not nailed the teeth it's just they've just uh you know scanned in a couple of packets of juicy fruit and just rammed them in their <laughs> chompers and yeah so we've got that going on combining the movements with these like conflicting artifacts on the screen where you've got sort of um, foreground and background artifacts sort of clashing and, and having this weird, almost like you're wearing a VR headset, you know, when you can look through and almost feels like you're looking through like a, a mesh screen door. Yeah, yeah. Some of the edging around some of the characters or like the hair or extreme contrast of light and dark, you get this weird artifacting going on and it's it's a bit annoying. But um, yeah, it sucks because this, this game had so much promise so much potential and it just didn't meet that in any way. Like there's some cool new changes. There's like an inventory system that they've included in the game where there's different ways to interact with certain elements in the world. And each one of the five characters had unique items in their inventory. Like Charlie, the English director slash producer, he's got like a business card that he can use to, you know, Jimmy, Jimmy locks open. Oh, and then, um, just, just a handout to ghosts. Yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, and, and they, they do lean star. into it. They yeah. they almost like tried to play off the um, American Psycho uh, business card discussion there, where oh. he's talking about embossing and foil and all this stuff. Yeah, uh, doesn't go down the path of of Christian Bale's uh, journey as Patrick Bateman, that's for sure. But um, yeah, there's that's all I thought when they were talking about the business cards. That's all I thought about. But then you've got like. Erin, who's sort of the audio producer, she's got like a little shotgun microphone that you use around and you're starting to hear, you know, like tortured moans and freaky stuff in the world and the environment as you're trying to sort of track down people or victims. So there's some cool new wrinkles where they've got this inventory system in there, which like, I'm like, this is cool. Like play more onto this. But a lot of it ultimately didn't 
advance the story or add anything cool to the game itself. It was just another thing to take time. Like it was only would have been six to seven hours, maybe a little bit more than seven. I don't know. But um, even though that's not a huge runtime, it still felt like it was probably a couple hours too long because there's just parts where it's like, go explore this random part. And because you move so slowly and so clumsily, it just sort of drags it out a little bit more. But I like that they're weaving in true story stuff. The, The murder castle thing is super intriguing and weaving that in with, you know, finding... Um, cassette tapes and the premonitions and all that kind of stuff that you're familiar with with this supermassive type of game yeah. is really cool and the replayability will be fun. I think maybe playing it with someone else might make the experience a lot better, but me soloing it, I'm just like, yeah, okay, I'm happy I'm finished. I'm able to talk about it today, but it didn't like ascend to the heights that I think you and I were hoping this was going to be like, and they're like, Oh, that's a serial killer one. And they're moving away from, you know, superstition and all this kind of stuff. And it's more so just grounded reality with fucked up people. And it doesn't really sort of hit those highs that we were hoping it was going to. That is such a shame. Yeah, we definitely, I, I guess we did kind of also build ourselves up and it didn't help. I guess that we had such a good experience with the quarry so it was kind of like, we're like, oh, we're on the up, but unfortunately. Yeah, it sort of feels seems. like um, it feels like the quarry was made by the, the senior team at Supermassive and maybe like the Dark Pictures Anthology. And, and if I'm completely wrong or if that's offensive, I apologize, but it sort of feels like We've got the the finished product as far as the quarry, you know, that's the that's the benchmark. Yeah. And then this is sort of the the prototyping almost that, that goes into the quarry. And they're like, oh, you know, there's some stuff on the cutting room floor. Let's turn that into a game. So it feels like, yeah, one is com- like intermittent or not even intermittently. One is like very, very much more polished and more finished compared to the other. And that makes me sad a little bit. Yeah. I like, I mean, right now we can safely say that if it's not a part of the anthology, there's a really good chance of it being good because Mm -hmm. the quarry wasn't. And I don't think they classify until Dawn as being a part of it either. Right. So those were the two good ones (laughs) and every other one has been attached to the anthology. I think. Apart from like the the VR ones, like obviously yeah. Ru- Rush of Blood, it's set in that Until Dawn universe. That was fun, and then the oh, the one the, we were in the, the hospital, inpatient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First half of that, amazing. Second half, <laughs> sucked. But uh, yeah, sadly, the devil in me missed the mark for me personally. Shame. I had such high hopes for it, and the concept sounds great. And navigating this world, and there's moments where I'm like, yes. Yes, keep ascending, and then it just falls on its face, and it sucks. So House of Ashes is my favourite in this first season of the Dark Pictures Anthology. It's 60 bucks Australian, I think, for The Devil in Me. So, like, it's, yeah. you know, it's it's a sizable amount of money. Like, it's not full, full price. It's, you know, not $120 Ragnarok. So half of the money for half of the experience is justified maybe if you're a big fan of supermassive and, and this sort of genre of games but uh you just go in with uh you know manage your expectations if you're yet to play the devil in me and you're very excited for it go in lukewarm and maybe you'll have a great time but uh sadly i did not have a great time shame but who knows maybe maybe they'll learn more about the successes of the quarry and the differences in 
those games like what what why did they this one succeed and why are these ones like maybe not reaching that mark hopefully they kind of evaluate that a little more and see if they can start hitting those marks again i hope so i hope so like but you you know that like the mainline games the quarry the until dawns and things phenomenal top tier some of the best games you'll play and then the dark pictures anthology a little uneven so hopefully season two and we'll talk more about that very shortly Hopefully season two can maybe right some of those wrongs and, and ascend this IP a little bit further up because, yeah, the devil in me, so much potential, but it just crumbled under that weight of that uh, that pressure, I think. So uh, that's a bit bit of a shame. Yeah. But uh, something that didn't crumble under the weight. I went and watched Black Panther Wakanda Forever on oh, the weekend. Oh, did. Holy guacamole, is that movie fantastic. I was feeling all the things. It was beautifully shot, fantastically acted, the emotional weight of Chadwick Boseman's untimely passing was really, really, really well handled, very respectfully done. Reading some of the sort of the press tour off the back of that with the, the start, like the production team or the cast and how heavy it was to record this movie, it's a testament to everyone involved because you can see the, the emotions they're showing on screen. A lot of it, it didn't feel like it was acting. Like I think genuinely being on that set to try and make that movie would be so, 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 so difficult, but they handled it well. It's yeah. Like it's one of the prettiest movies you'll see in a long while. Like Ryan Coogler just knows what's up behind a camera and makes very pretty, pretty films. Like it goes over two out two hours, but it doesn't feel very long. It's got a good pace. Uh, introducing of Namor was really, really well handled. I like how they've sort of changed a little bit of his origin story from from the comics and things to, to weave it into oh, into this universe. It's okay. it's done really, really well. Um, I'm excited for more potential stuff in this Black Panther universe. It's really, really great, and yeah, just just the contrast between. You know, future, you know, you see Wakanda and it's, it's this weird juxtaposition of like crazy science fiction, future tech mixed with African culture and sort of seeing those worlds collide and mesh on the screen. It's, it's very unique in that way. And my God, it is a visual and audible feast, like the soundtrack and, you know, the respect to sort of that African heritage and the cultures and, and just like the various tribes that they sort of bring in and, and, and different sort of people from all walks of life, it is really, really, really well done. And yeah, it's just like a feast for the senses. So uh, I'm really, really happy with that movie. Yeah, made me feel some things, got me a little bit teary in a few in a few moments. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm all about it. So Black Panther Wakanda Forever, mm, definitely happy to prove from my side. Yeah, well recommended. I'm not too sure when I'm going to be able to watch this one. Um, first of all, the runtime is daunting. <laughs> Second of all, uh, there's a lot of stuff that's been spoiled, and it was got spoiled very quickly. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That sucks. And hey, you know what? It wasn't even like just random people online. It was like a media outlet that like put it in like one of their posts is like a subtext kind of thing like or is it sons of bitches so yeah i i know i know some stuff unfortunately so um yeah but like i i always say that these are the kind of movies that i would go to see at the cinema like the big spectacle like the special effects the high you know 
high quality uh, CG and uh, moments. So that that that's why I would go to the cinema to see something like this. So uh, Thanksgiving week um, is coming up, so we've got some time off. So maybe we will go to see it. Um, maybe within that time, go for a go for a morning session and just down down some coffee. I hope so. I, I went and checked it out in the morning, and morning movies is the best. Not I'm only because the cop- like popcorn it. is cooked fresh, but also the crowds are a little less. We we go to this place. It's obviously a little bit more fancy, where there's only so many seats in the cinema, and uh, you, you've got a little button to press. But we go to this place, and now that we go in the morning, we get like um, we get the little French press, and they give you your own little French press Ooh, little canister, so baby. you can keep pouring through the movie. And then um, they also do um these like churro uh donuts. <sighs> And they're like warm and stuff, and so it's like you could just order that, and then if you want another one, you can order another one. That sounds just, great. It, it's it's pretty good, and until some asshole decides to order um, some weird like kebab on a stick thing at God knows what hour, and so you're trying to enjoy that cozy donut and coffee feel while someone over there is having a, a teriyaki style kebab on a stick, <laughs> so <laughs> kind of throws you through a loop, but. Churros are so good with that Dolce de Leche dipping sauce. Dolce de Leche. Mm. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness gracious me! But uh, yeah, check out Wakanda Forever if you're looking to to get out and get to the cinemas. It's it's worth worth the cost of admission, that's for sure. And yeah, it is. I think it's over two and a half hours. Like it is a, yeah, it is a chunky movie. Two and yeah, two. I think you're right. Yeah, two and a half or two forty. So yeah, but it's it's got a good runtime, and it's funny watching it. Like I couldn't help but think of because there is there is some you know and you see it in the trailers there's there's scenes in the ocean there's aqua based scenes right and so while I was watching it I was thinking not only Aquaman but I was also thinking of Avatar as far as just these big sea spectacles not as in like it's hitting the same narrative oh, beats good. or anything because yeah. because they had that Avatar was it the way of the water or whatever the Christ no one's called that was the last trailer before the games the movie started. <laughs> And so I had Avatar fresh in my mind. I'm like, this does Avatar better than Avatar does Avatar. And it does sea-based stuff better than Aquaman does at times too. So it's kind of very, very impressive. The underwater stuff and the, the just just the CG in those um, oceanic-based scenes. Mwah. Stunning, 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 stunning. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's done a ton of money at the box office. Very curious to see what they do with this character in this world moving forward with Marvel because Letitia Wright has said some controversial things and, and cheered up a bit of a storm on the back of COVID and anti-vax and all yeah. that. So very, very interesting to see what's going to happen with her moving forward. Is she going to stay part of this universe or is she sort of maybe blacklisted herself with some of the the media controversies that have surrounded her on the back of COVID? Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, Wakanda Forever, really, really good. Also... At time of recording, I think the third episode might have just dropped, but the first two episodes of season three of Mythic Quest are out on Apple Plus. Yeah. Oh my god, I've missed that show so much. Like it, it came out of nowhere. Like we've been shocked that it's here now and season three is upon us. Yeah. But it's so great to be back with those characters and that world and that story. And I was just like consuming it by the bucketful. Like it is so good. Yeah. I I, I- I completely forgot that it's out and like I said, me and my husband are just currently just like downing every episode of like Rick and Morty at the moment. But there's so many things that we have to start and I think we're just a little bit hesitant. And then Yellowstone has started as well, so now I've got to 
battle my husband for the TV screen for that. So, but I mean, Mythic Quest is good, and it doesn't take episodes aren't long, so I think that's always a a win with us. That's it. That's it. So, so at time of recording now, listeners, there should be three episodes available on Apple Plus. So get that sorted out as soon as you can because it is fantastic and it just does video gaming fans and anyone that works in the game industry justice and it's very funny and heartfelt and all the good things accompanying that world. Like it's so, 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 so well done. Yeah. And something else that is really well done is our new website, videogamesandculture.com. And if you head over over to videogamesandculture.com forward slash awards, Get those votes in for the biddies. They are our community-driven awards that we are doing here annually at the Hungry Gamers slash 8-Bit. And uh, yeah, those those awards are entirely decided by you. We do not have a vote. We do not have a stake in what determines the winners of the biddies. So get your voices and your votes heard slash seen over at videogamesandculture.com forward slash awards. You've got a couple more weeks to get those nominations in. And uh, also get you in the draw to win a ton of swag, not only from our friends at Audio Technica, but also Spreadshirt and also some goodies from uh, 8-Bit slash The Hungry Gamers directly as well. Obviously, you can support us Monticelli over at Kofi, ko-fi.com forward slash we're8bit or check out our merch store at shop8bit.net where we've got our new fantastic arcade runner's shirt available Ooh, yeah. highlighting the human hand grenade known as Rebecca doing her thing in the game arcade there. So shop 8bit.net. But Miss Hart, I've got a brand new segment I want to bring out periodically here. And I call this shoot from the hip. It's something that I've pulled across from Hoop Dreams, the, uh, the fabled NBA podcast I was doing with Jono and Tilby. So the way this works is every week, Jono and the community can send in questions to Jono, directly you can find him at johnny himself on the socials and he's going to turn this into an audio bite he's going to send it to me and i'm going to play it through so i don't know what the question is either so we're both shooting from the hip we don't have any time to prepare they're going to be gaming pop culture related questions and they're just going to throw it at us and we're just going to throw something back so uh let's pull out the first one so i don't know what what this is going to encompass but uh here we go in one two three These days we get a lot of remakes of classic games and even some only just slightly outdated masterpieces. What's your pick for a bad game or mediocre offering that deserves another chance via a modern remake? My vote would go to pretty much any Star Wars game that isn't Jedi Fallen Order or Knights of the Old Republic. I'm looking at Force Unleashed, I'm looking at Dark Forces... There's a whole generation or two of Star Wars games that I didn't even bother with. So let's see some of those again with a bit of love and care. All right, Miss Hart. So Jono there, shooting from the hip, wants to know what game we would like remade that maybe upon release was a little bit uh, a little bit janky, a little bit subpar, a little bit lacking. So uh, it's, it's a big question to lead things off here with Shoot from the Hip. It's, uh, you know, we don't do anything by halves here. That's a, that's a serious question to, to start things off. Yeah. Miss Hart, where are you going with your Shoot from the Hip for a game you want to see remade that maybe wasn't the best at release? I mean, to be fair, Jono kind of did a very broad stroke of just a lot of Star Wars games. And I agree with him with uh, Galactic Battlegrounds, which mm-hmm. was a... a 
real-time strategy builder kind of game um that there was a star wars it was all star wars characters i think i know four or five people that played it (laughs) (laughs) i'm not one of those four or five either i loved it galactic battlegrounds it was you know like so for anyone for reference it was like your starcraft your age of empires like that kind of style game but it was all star wars characters and all like different uh, colonies and such like that in the star wars universe and it was great it came out around the time of i think around like phantom menace and that time piece so but i have to agree with jono on that aspect with that particular game mm-hmm. it's, it's tough to try and just narrow it down to just one right i mean it is and then it's also like um thinking about like was it received bad or just did people not know about it is 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 mm. is that the angle like i am a lover of like um of rhythm games so it's already i'm cutting off like a good percentage of gamers out there but i've been so desperate um uh, for buster groove and like I just, I don't think we're the rhythm games get that much love anymore. Um, so I, even if we did take Buster Groove and brought it back at this time frame, will it succeed? Probably not. Um, but, you know, let's give it another go. Why not? Um, I would just love to have that experience with these larger life characters and quite possibly even bring it into the VR space with these wonderful, extravagant stages and just being surrounded by these larger than life characters with these extremely awesome tracks um that would have to be probably one of my answers something i'm pretty passionate about that's fair you are you are the resident uh, rhythm queen here on thg and 8-bit and just uh games media on mass you are you're, you're known as is that in my eyes i this is tough because like how far back do you want to go? Like exactly. going back to the the SNES era and stuff, there's games I could think of. The original Jurassic Park game on there, I'd be thirsting for a new one of that because it mixed um, moments in the game where you had sort of like this isometric top down as as Alan Grant and then you go into other parts where you go into certain areas and it goes first person with the, the night vision goggles. So there were some freaky moments there. But the game I'm going to say... I'd like to see remade is the order 1886. So it's a game that came out on the PlayStation four in February of 2015. So it's, it's not massively old seven years, you know, that's, that's a good period of time, but the game had so much potential and it's stunning to look at. Like you, you set in this like alternate steampunk London in 1886 and, you're part of this group and you're, you're keeping the world safe from vampires and werewolves and all these other hell beasts, as well as going against like this rogue arm of the government. And the world itself is really cool, but the game ends so abruptly. And, you know, it's a little bit of a mess. There's some quick time events that are neither here nor there, but the premise and the, the potential of this game was huge. And it was fine when it came out, uh, but the fact that it was so short really really irked me still to this day like i'd love to see this game revisited and added like you know bolt on some extra hours and build out this world a little bit more and play with this alternate 1886 london and and you know that whole steampunk thing that really tickles the pickle i think i've said that three times this episode i need need more more catchphrases but uh it's really great so i'm gonna say 
The Order 1886, it's been out for seven years now. There's been a lot of fans out there. There's a lot of devout super fans of The Order. Yeah, there are. And they've been hankering for a sequel. But let's just let's just remake the first one and build that world out again. So uh, get ready at dawn back into it, Sony. And uh, yeah, make this a PlayStation 5 exclusive for the coming years. So The Order 1886 would be my remake I would like to see done. Even though it was only on previous gen hardware, yeah. I think seeing it um, redone with a a better coat of paint and also a bit more of an expansion on that story would be great. I think that, I think that's fair. Like the, like you said, the fan base, there, there is a fan base there. They're pretty passionate and always like uh stand by that game of being like one of their favorites or being um having the legs for the potential of being a great, great franchise essentially. But yeah. So uh yeah, that was our first shoot from the hip. We'll see what uh, questions come our way not only from Jono, but our dear listeners, be sure to, uh, if you want to email them through, hello at 8bit.net or Jono at 8bit.net, or if you want to message Jono directly, at Jono himself on the socials. Because, yeah, we don't we don't want to vet any of these beforehand. We want to go in, go in blind and give you those shoot-from-the-hip honest answers. So uh, that's the first shoot-from-the-hip done. Let's move into this. This week's news headlines. The first bit of news, Dead Island 2 has hit yet another roadblock, albeit a comparatively small one in the grand scheme of things. The game will now release on the 28th of April, a 12-week delay from what was most recently announced in a statement the developer said. The shift in the release will give the team the extra time needed to provide a game everyone involved is, in quotes, proud to launch. The developer noted the irony of delaying Dead Island 2 was not lost on it, stating the decision is disappointing for both the team and those looking forward to playing the game. For those of you who have been waiting for years, thank you for hanging in there with us. The statement closed with the announcement, a Dead Island 2 showcase, which will include a new trailer and gameplay, will also be airing on the 6th of December. So this, uh, this makes me chuckle. Obviously, this game has been to be rumoured in development for years and years and years. And it was made official this year and then they committed to a date. And it's like, if you're waiting this long to announce it and then you announce it and then you commit to a date and then a month or so later you shift that date, why did you announce that date in the first place? Like, why didn't you just say 2023? Like, I know you'll probably want that date to hype things up, but just feels very weird from a marketing standpoint for them to make that decision and then pivot so late into the piece. But... 12-week delay is not a, not a deal breaker no, by any means. huge. But it's just weird to me. I don't know, like, the, the decisions going on behind closed doors as far as here's the date. Shit, we're not going to make that date. Let's roll it back. Even though this thing's been cooking allegedly for years to, to no one's confirmation, and then they do it and then move it anyway. Just, I don't know. I don't know. But it's a shame, but I'm still keen for Dead Island 2 in, um, in April. Well... I, I always wonder with these, like, because obviously I don't know the full ins and outs and developing a game. I'm never going to pretend like I know. Um, I, I'm always curious if, like, certain decisions on dates and releases, if any any of them ever take in consideration what is also being released within their release window, either mm-hmm. week of, week before, week after kind of thing. So, um, I, I worry about uh, a title like Dead Island, um and how they can kind of probably fall under the radar of like a lot of people and not get that mainstream grasp especially if you don't have anything uh particularly wowing to grab people on like you kind of need that Mm -hmm. viral hit of like 
oh, wow, like you should see what this game does that's completely different that you need to experience. And then it kind of goes viral and the hype kind of, you know, extends on and they get more of a player base. But I worry that Dead Island's going to get like a Dying Light experience. Um, Dying Light was, you know, it, it felt like it was being made for quite some time and then it was announced and then it was pushed back and then they also started doing showcases um, to, I guess, maintain... So many showcases yeah, too. To My God. maintain the level of hype for the game. So, um, and I don't think I know anyone that's played it. So, I guess... I know a couple, yeah, but not many. I guess Dead Dead Island might also really, really depend on a fan, depend on a, a fan base that has just been anxiously waiting and want to hype it up. So... Yeah, like, like I'm excited to play the game and... I'll reserve too much judgment until this showcase on the 6th slash 7th of December here for us in the AU to, to see the new trailer, but also see some gameplay. That'll be nice because yeah. we haven't seen any, like a, a ton of gameplay for Dead Island 2 since, since the announcement a couple of months back. So I'm hyped for it. It's just, it feels very, uh, very sort of messily announced and then managed from uh, a PR and a, and a publisher perspective where, yeah, this game was bubbling along for years in the background getting made. They committed to a date. They've shifted. And like, I'm, I'm big on shifting a date so something can come out fully, fully realized, complete, as polished as possible. That's awesome. But um, yeah, let, let's see if come next year they ship, they move the date again. I don't know. That's the thing. So uh, yeah. hold my breath until then. But uh, yeah, the 28th of April is now the new Release date for the first-person zombie kill fest known as Dead Island 2. Uh, circling way back to when we mentioned Apple TV Plus earlier in this episode, Xbox Game Pass Ultimate users can now get three months' worth of free access to Apple TV Plus and Apple Music through the Services Perks program. Users who wish to make the most of this offer can claim the perk anytime between now and the 31st of March. This can be done via Xbox consoles or the Xbox app on Windows. So, that's awesome. Yeah. It's it's money for nothing. You know, you're getting some value to a service you're already paying for. And the fact you're getting three months worth of Apple TV is fantastic. There's, There's so stuff. much good content on Apple TV. It needs to get more attention. Like, I think... A lot of people I know are fans of Apple TV just due to them having, or Apple TV Plus, due to having an Apple TV. But unless they have that, you don't know too many people that maybe have the subscription to that service um, as commonly as, say, a Netflix. Like, there is a lot of Ted Lasso super fans that, that seek out Apple TV Plus, obviously, but there's so much good stuff on there. And now you get three months um, included in your Game Pass Ultimate. Looking at the finer details of this as well, you need to be a new Apple tv plus subscriber you can't be existing and then bolt your three months on yeah so anyone that hasn't used that service up until now you're good to go but sadly for for people like ourselves miss hart we don't get the three months but uh the gesture is nice for for new new adopters of apple tv plus of course and this would be a good time too because we are entering the holiday months so depending obviously which industry you work in you're going to have a lot of downtime to kind of check out content so Sign up sooner than later and you have like a few few weeks in the month, months to, um you know, digest some Apple content. I'm an Apple Music user and I love it. I really, really enjoy um, Apple Music. Um, so having that as well as um, it, 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 you can 
dive into it, see if you like it, and then obviously it's ad-free. I've never used Spotify, so, um, you know, I've never had the issue with ads kind of popping up, so... All, all I use is Spotify, but I have the paid service of Spotify. So no ads up in here. But um, yeah, as, as an Apple super fan these days, I guess, maybe Apple Music is something I need to look at migrating to in the future. But for now, I'll just keep paying whatever bloated subscription fees that Spotify charge me every month. But uh, yeah, Xbox Game, Xbox Game Pass Ultimate users, get those three months worth of Apple TV Plus and Apple Music right now because yeah, it's, it's free money. Why aren't you using it? Free money. All right, the next bit of news. Until Dawn and the Quarry developer, Supermassive Games, is currently developing another Dark Pictures anthology game, this time set in space. As reported by Eurogamer, a trailer for the new game appeared at the end of the Dark Pictures, The Devil in Me. The game is called Directive 8020 and will act as the Season 2 premiere of the Dark Pictures Anthology after The Devil and Me wrapped up Season 1. The minute-long trailer shows what appears to be a space station from well into the future as a narrator comments that it's looking for humanity's new home. So, this got me very excited seeing the this trailer at the end of my playthrough of The Devil and Me. Um, it took me from a, a very low point after The Devil and Me to a high point because I love me some science fiction. I love me some space. I love that we're getting space is scary. far, far away. Yeah, space is scary. It's, uh, you know, no one can hear you scream out there as as evidenced the, by Alien and Aliens. It's the flavor of the year right now in gaming, so. Mm-hmm. Yep, so uh, it's it's very on trend. It's very on brand. Super massive. Uh, New zombies. Put their finger on the internet pulse. Yep. And I'm keen for this because it gets very far away from the supernatural, or maybe there is some supernatural elements in this to, to come later. I don't know. Coast to coast. Space ghosts. Mm, the best kind of ghost, space ghosts. But I'm keen for, for Directive 8020. What about you, Miss Hart? You watch the trailer? Are you in? I haven't actually watched the trailer. But, I, you know, like I feel like it could be an interesting angle. Like we've, we've seen all the different directions that Supermassive have done with these like horror tropes. So... As we mentioned, space is scary at the moment, so they're going to kind of dip their toe in there and see what they can do. Um, I, I'm only going to wish that we could kind of like cut to um, when you finished um, the previous um, the previous game uh, from Supermassive that kind of showed the trailer to The Devil in Me because I'm almost certain that you had the same reaction where you said, I'm so excited for this one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, okay. fool me once, Supermassive. Uh, Shame on you. <laughs> So, Fool me twice, shame on me. me. So, uh, yeah, yeah. The, the eternal optimist in me goes, Directive 8020, let's go. Win back some uh, win back some love and faith from me after the devil in me being a bit of a more miss than hit experience. But, uh, yeah, space, it's scary, it's great, it's the flavour of the month. And if there's space ghosts, sign me up twice. Let's go. Yeah, well, time will tell, I guess, uh, especially after us talking about how uh, mainline games are what they do best and not the anthology. Yeah. So let's 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 start with a clean slate. Yeah. yeah, but it's kind of cool that we've got a season two on the way. So we've got, I'm assuming, at least another four games for season two that are, that are planned on their slate and we'll see what happens. So, uh, yeah, Directive 8020 coming soon to the Dark Pictures Anthology season two. Episode one, get excited. All right, the next bit of news. Streets of Rage is coming to the silver screen. 
Lionsgate has acquired the motion picture rights for the Sega game, opening the door for a film adaptation of the popular franchise. Derek Kolstad, who had previously written John Wick and all of its sequels, will write and produce the adaptation. What a bizarre piece of news this is. Like, yeah. Streets of Rage, it's it's a great franchise. We, we've got a lot of fandom and, and love for that franchise here between yeah, us. But to see it realised, in like, to see it realised and become a film is... Bizarre to me, especially in the, the 2020s, maybe like the 90s and early 2000s, I could see this becoming more of a thing. But nowadays? Yeah, so there's, there's going to be a lot of like weird nerves that they're probably going to hit, especially that the main characters are kind of like ex-cops um, and they're going to be going out there and beating people up in the streets. Um, however, I don't know what made me think of it because I guess it's the kind of vibe of Streets of Rage that we grew up with. Um, mm-hmm. I like. I kind of thought I'm like this could work if we kind of went down the Kung Fury route, like kind of design. And because obviously, like he he wrote John Wick, so it doesn't necessarily mean he had much on the overall aesthetic. But you know, if we kind of went down this like Kung Fury vibe and went to this like larger than life kind of universe, um, it could work. It could be it could be something quite special. But you know people don't like taking those crazy risks sometimes because people just mm. want what they're used to. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how this translates to 2023 or whenever, you know, whenever this <laughs> whenever. comes out, 2025. But, like, yeah, Derek Kolstad, like, he's a hell of a action writer, that's for sure. Like like you said, I don't know how much he had to do with the, the stylization of John Wick, but if, if he had even just a slither, uh, a sliver of um, responsibility regarding the art direction or the way it's shot or the like the choreographed fright, fight scenes, then we could be in for a treat with Streets yeah. of Rage because it is stunning. The the trailer doing the rounds for John Wick 4 at the moment, holy moly, that, that universe is just <laughs> art on screen. Like, it's so pretty and just the way it plays with light and neon and all this, like it is, it's, it's gorgeous. And I can't wait to see John Wick four through to 27. I don't (laughs) care if they make these until Keanu dies. Like I'm all for it. And beyond. Yeah. Keanu ghosts. Yeah. uh, Keanu would be the, the actor to say like, yeah, just use my, uh, you know, just holograph me. Yeah. Here's my essence. Just do as it, do with it what you will. (laughs) And there you go, ladies and gentlemen, your hungry gamers impersonation of Keanu Reeves. (laughs) Ah, sad Keanu essence, just feeding birds in the park eternally. But uh, yeah, Derek Kolstad, let's see what you're going to do here with Streets of Rage. Make it good. Very interesting. It's certainly the last, oh, not the last, but one of, wasn't one of the first IPs that came to mind when I'd hear that Hollywood are adapting yet another video game, that's for sure. Yeah, no, but it also makes sense at the same time. It's kind of, it does. I hate to say it like this, but it's kind of easy. Yeah. And everyone loves a good action film. Of course. You know, it's the it's the definitive sort of popcorn drone. You just go in there, you, you eat your snacks, you eat your churros, you eat your uh, your chicken kebab if, if you're feeling Churro that way. Churro donut. It's a donut. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Yum. I need to hunt down some churros today. Uh, the next bit of news, I've titled this one, Gotta Go Fast or the law might catch you. Hey. We've got some words here from Eurogamer. So... Yuji Naka, known as the father of Sonic the Hedgehog, has reportedly been arrested in Japan on suspicion of insider trading. The news was reported overnight uh, by Japanese newspaper 
Manichi and comes a day after two other men were reported to have been charged with insider trading connected to Final Fantasy publisher Square Enix. So Naka, who's 57, is accused of purchasing shares worth 2.8 million yen, around 17,000 euros or roughly just under 30,000 Australian dollars in aiming a Japanese developer which Square Enix partnered with to make a Dragon Quest mobile game before the company's involvement was public knowledge. Yuji Naka worked with Square Enix as on the platformer Balan Wonderland, which oh. launched to a lackluster response. Naka worked with Square Enix around the same period, from the autumn of 2019 until around the time of Balan Wonderland's underwhelming launch in 2021. In April of this year as well, Naka revealed he had sued Square Enix over his exit from the company and accused the publisher of releasing the game unfinished. So, uh... It's been a whirlwind 12 months for old uh, Yuji Naka, <laughs> yeah. the, the, the godfather of Sonic the Hedgehog, has uh, been doing all kinds of dirties. The father. Trying to sue Square and also, yeah, just doing some insider trading by buying some shares before, I guess, the, the stock shot with aiming going up after partnering on the Dragon Quest mobile game. So, uh, holy moly, it's, uh, Yuji's in some trouble. Yeah, like I remember us reporting his story uh, about suing in rela- in relation to the game Balan's World um, not being finished. Balan Wonderland. Yeah. Oh, sorry, yeah, yeah. Balan Wonderland um, not being um, not not being finished, and that like he he felt that he was pushed and pressed to kind of like just yeah be removed from something that he was building. Um, and I can't remember how compassionate we were to that story. So now it's interesting that now we've got this like shoe on the other foot that is now being done in for insider trading. Um, it's wild. It's it's a very wild story that kind of came out this week. Um, but yeah, I think is it is it open and shut? Like is he is he is is he going to jail? I, I think like if they can they can legitimately connect the dots that that. You know, thirty odd thousand dollars worth of investment he did buying shares in aiming happened directly. What well, happened off the back of him obtaining information that that they were going to be partnering with Square? Yeah, I think it's fairly open and shut. Like, I think if they can go, yep, you you were made aware of this pending purchase. You bought the shares a week before the purchase was made official and public. You're in some trouble here, Yuji. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, he could be doing a bit of a uh, bit of jail time on the back of this. Yeah, I mean, it's not looking good for him too. Like, I'm obviously based on like the time periods between him leaving, him being a part of Square Enix, and then being out, and then also making the purchase. It's, I'm sure, it's going to be pretty much, you know pretty clear what happens so i guess that's what happens when you really start kicking up a stink sometimes you really put a spotlight on yourself exactly exactly so i wonder how much of him trying to to sue square put a little bit of a a spotlight as you just said on himself and made them do a little bit more digging and it's just crazy that he's involved in this piece and there was two other former square employees involved in some insider trading tied into um, some final fantasy related stuff as yeah. well. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's sketchy, but uh, makes for some good discussion and something that uh, makes for some other good discussion. This past week, we got the full game of the year awards, 2022 nominations making their way to the internet and the social medias and what have you. And mm. uh, there was some, some divisive uh, Ooh, titles boy. making their way into some categories or some that did not. If we're sort of looking at it and just looking at it from sort of the, the top down, 
you know, the best debut indie game. We saw things like Neon White, Norco, Stray, Tunic, and Vampire Survivors in there. The best indie game, Cult of the Lamb, Neon White again, Sifu, Stray, and Tunic was there. Best performance, Ashley Birch, uh, Charlotte McBurney, Christopher Judge, Manon Gage, and Sonny Suljic. Best score slash music. Uh, we've got um, Plague Tale Requiem, Elden Ring, God of War, Ragnarok, Metal Hellsinger. And best art direction, Elden Ring, God of War, Horizon, Scorn, Stray. So you're seeing, like I'm not going to go through all the, oh, we've only got a couple more main ones here that we'll cover off because there is a few more that we didn't didn't highlight here. Best narrative, Blake Tail Requiem, Elden Ring, God of War, Ragnarok, Horizon Forbidden West, Immortality. Best game direction, Elden Ring, God of War, Ragnarok, Horizon Forbidden West, Immortality, and Stray. And then Game of the Year nominees are Plague Tower Requiem, Elden Ring, God of War Ragnarok, Horizon Forbidden West, Stray, and Xenoblade Chronicles 3. So hearing a lot of same titles bled across a lot of those categories. And then there's a ton more other categories that we haven't sort of included here. So you can see the full list. Just search Game Awards 2022 nominations and they'll pop up every which way. But uh, Miss Hart, anything there that sort of stands out to you in a good or a bad way or something that's surprising that you, you didn't expect to, to get nominated in, in a certain category? Stray. Like, I didn't play it, so I don't actually have any basis of, um, like, to to say why or why not. I'm just genuinely surprised that not only has it been pretty prominent in the uh, nominations, but it's, it's, it's there in Game of the Year. Um, so that shocked me quite a bit. But, you know, like, like I said, I haven't played it. I don't have any, you know any attachment to the game to actually make a, a stand on why it does or does not deserve to be there. I was just surprised by it. I saw a lot of silly thoughts about why Scorn was in best art direction. A hundred percent Scorn belongs to be in best art direction. It is, I Completely feel agree. like a well thought out, um, co- like artistic concept that was executed professionally, like uh, amazingly. And, um, like, a lot of the opinions that people said was, like, oh, no, the game is ugly, the game is disgusting, how can you put Scorn up against a game so stunning as Horizon and God of War? And I don't understand where this concept of where art direction had to be pretty. Um, Mm. Like, art is a concept and it's broad, and I feel like a, a game like Scorn, with its design and execution, they knew exactly what they were doing with it, and they executed on it perfectly because the game wanted to make you feel uncomfortable and settled and disgusted. And so they did a great job. So 100% Scorn belongs in Best Art Direction. And I'm glad that they've gotten a nomination in there. Um, also, as well as Immortality getting a few nominations in there as well. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm very happy to see a lot of my personal favorite games and, and you know our, our shared favorite games here getting getting some love across these noms. I completely agree with you with Scorn. Like, yeah, art is, it's it's personal and it varies from person to person as far as what they deem good or bad. So the fact that it is so unique compared to the other nominees in that category is awesome and I, I love that it got a bit of love. I completely agree. I would not have Stray. I played Stray. I finished it. It's fine. I enjoyed it. The art style is actually really pretty. That sort of uh, post-apocalyptic cyberpunk neon that they sort of uh, straddle the line with um, is awesome but I'd put Cold of the Lamb up in the game of the year potentially or Immortality is sort of where I'm at as far as my uh, my gut check with what I think should be in there or shouldn't but yeah Stray getting in there 
little bit of an eyebrow razor for me personally. The other games do not surprise me at all. I haven't played Xenoblade Chronicles 3, so I can't really yeah, uh, form an opinion on that one. I've heard it's good, but uh, you know, I haven't touched it uh, personally yet. But yeah, I, I like that I feel a lot of our opinions are in lockstep with the broader games media that uh, put their nominations in for this. Like Best Narrative... The five games in Best Narrative are the five games that I'd put in Best Narrative, like A Plague Tale, Elden Ring, God of War, Horizon, and Immortality. Yeah, I'd put those five in there. No uh, no hesitation. But uh, I'm very curious to see how some of these awards ultimately get uh, distributed. Which Who wins these awards, Miss Hart? I'm very curious. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm feeling God of War Ragnarok is going to win Game of the Year this year, just based off my impressions and feelings and just general mood of that game. But I wouldn't be sad if Elden Ring got it or Horizon or Plague Tale because I adored all four of those games collectively. Yeah, I, I'm going to I'm gonna say Elden Ring is going to get it. Um, it's been this thing that we've kind of discussed throughout the year, saying how Elden Ring obviously came out at the start of the year. And um, I feel like, especially when it comes to the time of uh, Game Awards, um, the most like recent released, you know, blockbuster at time closer to the nominations usually gets the gets the hype. So, um, mm-hmm. but I feel like Elden Ring still stands on its own feet. It's still prominent. It's still relevant, and it's still widely loved. I just think it should deserve Game of the Year because it was a game that I would have never, ever, ever touched and it excelled and did so brilliantly amongst the gaming space that I did try and experienced it and had had a good time playing it. I obviously had a mm. difficult time, but um, <laughs> I think I think when you kind of get over those hurdles and introduce um, a bunch of gamers into a new space that they're not familiar with and, you know, get a new fan base and just have such a... Um, have such a great reach and just um, uh, positive opinions. I, th- I think there's been a lot of positivity around the game as well. Um, I think it just deserves game of the year. Mm, that's fair. I, I like I, if I see Elden Ring win it, like I'm not going to be like, this is bullshit. This is stupid. Like it, yeah. it's completely deserving for all those reasons you just mentioned. My biggest gripe with these awards or award ceremonies in general, yeah. have these award ceremonies in January and just have the calendar from the previous year as the you know timeline where games could be nominated because it's weird to me that something like God of War Ragnarok which came out a week ish ago now is nominated but then something like Callisto Protocol or Pokemon yeah, can't be nominated because they missed the cutoff like yeah. it's a week late like go January 1 to December 31 that's your release window and then run the run the awards in January or February of the next year. Like it's so dumb to me that you have Game of the Year awards for a year that's not yet finished. I don't understand that. It also makes me wonder, like, because they obviously have a committee that puts together these nominations, so they would have had to have had a committee that would have had to have played God of War to its mm-hmm. full extent to have obviously put this forward as a nomination. So. Yeah, I'm very curious about that. I'm very curious how that got through because it's only been out for like a week even. Yeah, I I, I genuinely wonder if some of these media outlets have just said, you know what, God of War Ragnarok is going to be great. It's on my nomination list. Like it's on my ballot. Like, so yeah, Jeff, realign your timelines here and go January 1, December 31. That way it cuts out all the bullshit, all this 
this hypothesizing that we're doing now and it gets the games actually come out in that year all viable for awards. Exactly. I I stand with you 100% on that. I just don't get it. Me I don't either. get it. I, like, and I know we do the biddies in December. We sort of do them later in the year. Like we we got a, like another month's worth of grace period yet before that we record this so we can get just about all the big games that are coming out in that calendar period. Like, it's still not perfect. I know I'm probably sounding uh, hypocritical right now because we're doing our awards in December, but we have a little bit more bleed through as far as getting those awards and and all the games being nominated um, to be viable to win. Also, the Hungry Gamers need a break, so we try to fit everything in at that arse end of December, right, guys? (laughs) It's busy. It's busy, yeah. Often our three biggest episodes are back-to-back-to-back um, in December with... with, um, the biddies, our favourite things, and um, Festivus <laughs> yeah. all happening. If you don't like it, tell us at Festivus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I need to actually um, check the episode notes of this, listeners. There'll be a link in there to get your grievances aired and heard. So no, I just not now. I it's fresh in their up. minds. <laughs> <laughs> you guys whinging about it, um, award ceremony dates you and bleed bloody through. bloody hypocrites. All right, we'll quickly jump over to this tweet of the week. And this tweet comes via a way of at TFIL Ryan, aka The Floor is Lava. And the tweet reads Keeping with the Mario 3 theme, I made some music to accompany this story at Petty Comma Jared told Tim Geddes on a legendary Kind of Funny Games cast. Hashtag Super Mario Brothers 3. So this is a very adorable, heartwarming beautiful story where Jared is sharing this story with Tim about how his dad took him out of school one day to go on by and play Super Mario Brothers 3 all day together. It's it's a video slash audio clip that runs for about a minute and a half, yeah, but long. it's just beautiful and it warms the heart and it really just re-emphasizes why some of us play video games. It, yeah, so um, watching watching this little clip and just hearing the music that um, Ryan, the floor is lava, created in the background, a very ambient kind of sound, and you hear this, you hear Jared just talking about it, like the, this this day, this day that like he remembers from his youth and just how much it meant to him and, you know, that connection of like family and youth and video games and just nostalgia and it, it, it I think it hits a lot of us, like um, experiences mm-hmm. that we maybe had, like a day where we got to stay home and maybe play a video game. Like I feel like nowadays it's pretty common for kids just to call in sick because God of War came <laughs> out, you know, like and adults. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, we're old enough; we can do Allegedly. it now. <laughs> we're making up for that lost time. But just those really special moments from like childhood with these these games that we grew up with and just like these little moments I like for me like I always kind of remember staying at my grandmother's house with my older brother and the thing that we would always do is we try to wake up early and set up the mega drive and we'd raid the milo jar and set up sonic 2 and play loser life even though my brother was really good at the game so I never technically got to play <laughs> But it's just this, it's this always this like nice warm memory that I always like to think about growing up and how video games and family and nostalgic just kind of like, you know, just brings a nice smile to my face. So I just think mm. it's a really cool uh, little, little thing that people might want to experience and see. That's it. That's it. It's one of the most, most wholesome tweets doing the rounds on the internet at the moment before Twitter potentially explodes yeah, true, or, or true. whatever occurs in the coming days. <laughs> 
with uh, Elon and, and his uh, his decision making process. Mm. But uh, it's funny because yeah, Super Mario Brothers three is one of those first main touchstones for me for gaming as well. Like my uncle and I, similar scenario with you and your brother, you were saying there where we'd play together, but luckily with Mario Bros. 3, you could have Mario and Luigi. So so he played as Mario and I played as Luigi and we worked our way through all eight of those worlds over a series of, of weeks where I'd go over and stay at my grandma's house and, and play with, with him there or he'd come stay at, at our place and we'd, you know, be up all night playing till ungodly hours, working our way through it. So it's nice to, to have those little moments to just pause and reflect on, uh, you know, what gaming means to us and, and those those simpler times. Exactly. Mm. But uh, if you don't want to sort of reflect on the past and things like Super Mario Bros. 3 and instead talk about what's coming out or what you can do that's new, don't worry, we got you covered. New releases and events. We're talking about releases between November 21 through to the 28th of November. As far as podcasts, we've got our God of War Ragnarok spoiler cast dropping this week. A nice hearty deep dive with Atreus and Kratos and co. So uh, check that out on the Hungry Gamers RSS feed this week. Uh, on the small screen, the Walking Dead series finale airs this week. So the show that we thought could not be killed is finally getting put to pasture forever. Obviously, there's a thousand spin-offs in existence and in development still, but the mainline Walking Dead series finale airs this coming week. We've also got Wednesday, obviously oh, the yeah. Adams Family um, show making its way to Netflix this week, and Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special dropping on Disney+. Plus. As far as the big screen, ton of movies coming out this week of note. Uh, the Menu, see Glass Onion, the uh, the sequel to Knives Out, mm-hmm. which will be great. Seriously Red, which is a Dolly Parton film, um, really? about like a yeah, where like it's set today and there's like a a Dolly Parton impersonator and it sort of ties into her life and whatever. It's it looks kind of kind of kooky, to, kind of interesting. Yeah. And they've also got Strange World, Pinocchio. So that's the Guillermo del Toro. Um, Pinocchio version and also Bones and All but I cannot wait to watch Glass Onion and the menu looks I, fantastic I want to see the menu um, I, I just um, actually had a brief interaction with Joey Noel uh, from Kind of Funny and she actually said that she watched it and she said she's ha- she had such a fun experience at the cinema which based on what the trailer was kind of portraying I'm like oh snap it's, it's doing that so I am now like really looking forward to uh, seeing the menu and seeing what is exactly happening in that story. It looks so great. I'm all for it. Um, and then games coming out this week, we've got Evil West dropping on all platforms, which I am very excited to play. Gungrave Gore or Gungrave G.O.R.E coming out as well. Just Dance 2023, the annual money earner there from Ubisoft and Ship of Fools coming out as well this week. So four, four very diverse and unique titles but uh evil west i'm very excited to sink my teeth into this week when i find some time yeah uh i i'm probably still gonna keep playing like i also playing overwatch i think i might try warzone <gasps> yeah well it's free it's free warzone 2.0 is out. <laughs> I, don't, I don't lose out on it so why not and then you watch just one match and i'll be like nope i remember <laughs> just- why Start your download now so it'll be finished by tomorrow because it is a big 
game. I think it's like 120 gigs or something. It would not surprise like that. me. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that it has like a, you got to install like a little valve and you just got to cut like a little bit of blood and just drop that in there mm-hmm. too. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. It, it takes everything from you it can. So, uh, <laughs> but it's release has been a little uh, up and down, round and round as far as yeah. service stability yeah. issues. And, and that's to be expected with any new live game. But um, yeah, I'll probably wait a few more weeks yet and then maybe jump in for a few games of Warzone 2.0 and then probably do the same thing where I'm like, nope, I'm out. <laughs> I remember. Yeah. Something else, well, I don't remember, but we discovered this week completely unrelated but loosely related because you mentioned Overwatch 2. Played a bit of Overwatch this week. Uh-huh. Uh, jumped into some lobbies. We had a nice full stack, but I've realised irrespective it is pretty nice um irrespective of if there's more console players to pc in that five stack it'll automatically revert you to the pc lobbies of course but then like benny and i played a few games just together we're both on xbox going from those pc lobbies to xbox it's like going from university to kindergarten like we were stomping fools left right and center on the in the in the console lobbies then you go to pc and obviously the uh, the difficulty, yeah, it it evolves substantially. You gotta you gotta man, make it work when you're on PC. My husband doesn't play with me because I'm on PC. He doesn't want to play against PC people, so um, it's tough. It's it's tough out there, especially rolling solo on PC. But um, you know what? I'm happy to report that I'm consistently uh, getting endorsements. I'm like a level. Hell yeah, le- I'm. In level three still, but like it's it's consistent in most matches, regardless whether Nicely I'm. Nicely done. Well, I'm only tank and support. I'm hardly ever getting DPS, and you know what? That's fine. That's okay. Who who are you? Who are you maining these days? Uh, so I'm actually like support wise, like I'm just always like Lucio. Lucio always seems like the right choice, especially when everyone's kind of playing these uh these support characters that are usually more like have that attack ability, like. So I'm like, well, someone's got to keep pushing the uh, health consistently. So I'm usually um, playing Lucio on that. And yeah, I'm still Zarya um, as, as, as your tank. I'm, I'm really like perfecting her. Um, she's a beast she, she's so hard to take down she like she can be but i'm I, I think i enjoy playing as her because not only am i effective with doing damage and like getting amongst it but i like that i can like see my healer getting attacked and i can throw that bubble over them and just really screw over the other team and protect my healer and stuff so also people p- protect your healer i mean come yeah. on yeah, a little health pool of like 200 goes down very quickly. Exactly, and then you're going to die anyway because you're sitting there by yourself you got no one healing you, so. Yeah, I just can't stop playing as Moira. I love her. Oh, she's, you're she's one so of them. She's so fun to play. Yeah, she's <laughs> yeah. great. She's so – I love that I a lot of the time do more damage than, than at least one of the DPS and also do a good chunk of healing as well, so it feels great. I've got to show you a screenshot of one of my Lucio games where I did – like high healing, but also high damage, and then also nice. high mit mit mitigation. mitigation. Yeah, so nicely done. Yeah, well, when you roll out, ping me. I'll jump into it's the PC, PC cesspool with you. you. I don't mind because yeah. it helps hone the skills. It makes me yeah, play better go. anyway. There you go. That's the way to look at it. Get yeah. get beaten yeah. to death in uh, P- PC lobbies, and then go be a god in consoles. Exactly, exactly. But eight uh, bit nation. That brings us to the end of THG three hundred and eight. 
Thanks as always for stopping on by. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe us and all the other podcasts to listen to on the regular. It helps keep the emotional lights on in our hearts, helps keep us tracking, helps keep us relevant. But yeah, obviously, videogamesandculture.com forward slash awards. Get those noms in for the biddies and I'll put a link on there as well for Festivus so we can start getting those grievances tabled and ready for recording in December. Miss Hart, anything else you want to shout out before we get on out of here for another week? Yeah, just before you're looking at Festivus, we love you. We really do. We really, really do. So much love. (laughs) Big, 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 big love. But uh, 8-Bit Nation, that's us for now. Until next time. On that love front, much love. And stay hungry. You've been listening to The Hungry Gamers, one of many gaming and geek culture-related podcasts from the 8-Bit Collective over on 8bit.net. Check out more episodes on your podcast service of choice. And while you're there, please be sure to rate and subscribe. Until next time, boys and girls, stay hungry. Stay hungry.